What's up, you rebel-minded freaks? This is where we question everything and provoke the normality of the world, all in an effort to face ourselves and become better humans. That's what it takes to be rebel-minded. You in? Let's do this. Welcome, everybody, back to the Rebel-Minded Podcast. I am your host, Zach Henson, and I am a self-development coach, a powerlifter, a masculinity provocateur, a newly um, acquired, well, acquired? Um, I'm a youth player now. It's, it's quite interesting. I love it. And we are here to work on self-love and emotional intelligence. And I do my best to challenge men and masculinity and their balance so that we can be better men for tomorrow. And I am doing another interview today with someone that is running a course that is very close to mine. And she's one of the most dynamic, creative people that I have ever been able to know. And it's been, <laughs> it's been great over the last couple of years, us ba- bouncing back and forth, getting to know each other. But we are going to, to discuss some things today that I think are super important, which is actually going to reference probably the last couple episodes that we did. So if you're ready for a new perspective, I want to introduce you to somebody that created a podcast called A Fresh Perspective. Her name is Lindsay Bryant, and Lindsay Bryant is the daughter of a stonemason and an LPN. Lindsay grew up learning firsthand the results of hard work. She used her strongly forged work ethic to earn a NCAA Division I scholarship to play a volleyball in college. Her tenacity, integrity, and obsession for truth are just a few of the more prominent qualities that she brings to the table in her daily life. Lindsay is now a wife, the mother to eight children, a real estate agent, commissioned artist, and is passionate about digging into what drives human motivations. Lindsay Bryant, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Of course, always. I know Lindsay, um, like I said, over the last couple of years, we've known each other for actually quite a while. Um, We grew up in the same town. And Lindsay, I actually want to ask you a couple questions um, before we start kind of digging in. Sure. Um, what, what's kind of your current status? I know in your bio, you know, we talked about you being a real estate agent and a commissioned artist, but can you tell everybody what the type of things that you've done? Because from what I know, you've done so many things and is mind blowing <laughs> to me. Lindsay even helped me out with some of my stuff. So what do you do? Tell me a little bit of this history. Oh man. <laughs> I do. I have done a lot of things, I guess. Um, I'm just always hungry for learning new skills, I guess. Mm -hmm. Like for instance, during quarantine, I picked up um, learning how to make jewelry. And so I take these tiny seed beads and I make jewelry out of them. Um, So I'm always just looking for ways to develop my skill sets. Um, I have a degree in psychology and I was almost done with a bachelor's in paralegal studies. So yeah, I've done a lot of things and people always tell me you have a lot of irons in the fire, but primarily right now I'm, uh, I'm a real estate agent with my husband over at Windermere Boise Valley. That's our primary focus because we have a big family. Um, we also want to help people find their forever homes and that's something that's very fulfilling to us. 
career-wise, I have um, a long history in sales. I sold cars. I've sold add-on programs for credit cards, you know, kind of just done everything. So I don't know if that's anything. I've done modeling. <laughs> I've done a lot of things. Yeah. So this is what's impressive. And if there's anybody out there, um, because I'm kind of figuring out the same thing, that you can do a lot of a lot of things. There's so much that you can do. Maybe there's just a reason that we, you know, we adapt from one thing to another. But like Lindsay's saying is there's kind of this starvation for always moving forward and always learning. And I think that's one of the biggest things of a growth mindset. Um, and I think you'll notice it in your life whenever you're going through things, but you don't have to commit to one thing for the rest of your life. And I think it's very important that we kind of adhere to that and know that you have more control and capability in your life. And Lindsay, like she's done photography for me and she's absolutely amazing. Thank you. And you're very welcome. And um, I, I think this is just an opportunity for people to see that you have a lot more to you than you realize. And I have, I'm talking to a person that has showed us exactly that. So. Well, I think like as we're growing up, we, I mean, at least me, I didn't really know what I was going to do with my life. I didn't even know myself well enough to know what I would love doing for the rest of my life. So that's also kind of why I dabble in different things is, oh, let's see if I enjoy doing this. And, you know, I don't, I think it's a great thing to always pick up good coping mechanisms too, which are creative outlets for me. So, you know, uh, in my own journey, it was, I, I had stuck to one thing for so long. I think that I didn't realize my potential, mm. you know what I mean? And so did you, did you find benefits to doing so many different types of things? Like, did you find yourself more Did you know, did things become, did you find things that maybe you didn't realize that you were capable of doing or, you know, um, skills or I don't know, talents or, um, and how, how well does that help you now? The fact that you've gone through all this stuff. I think it's interesting seeing, um, like you said, adaptation. And I think that's something that all of us on a world, like a global scale are dealing with now is like, especially with coronavirus, like everyone mm -hmm. talks about it, but um, we're all adapting. Like, how do we, how do we live our daily life? What does normal mean now? Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it's interesting to see once I pick up one skill, how I'm able to incorporate that in a different setting or a different um, career path, even just striking up a conversation with someone because they're interested in what I'm doing is great because I get to know people better, or maybe I'm able to refer them to someone who can help them with a need that they have. So yes, I think there's always uh, benefits and learning more about yourself when you pick up a new skill. For instance, like I mentioned earlier, learning to sew these tiny beads together to make jewelry, my patience is a lot better. Um, even I feel sharper mentally because they're tiny and you have to like be aware of what you're doing while you're doing it. My anxiety's gone down. So I think there's definitely benefits and self-awareness that comes from anything new that you try to do because you're going out of your comfort zone, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I, I guess it's probably, mm. do you think the, 
it's giving you like the ability to create more balance in your life, like, you know, having passion and then having, um, having different perspectives and, you know, having different abilities. Do you think that's actually helped kind of in your balance of how you handle everything? I think it's helped me with boundaries. (laughs) Really? Yeah. Because as much as I love to do all the things, Mm -hmm. there has to come a point where you have that boundary with yourself, where you have that work life balance. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think too much of anything could be bad. So I think it, it helps me like, okay, am I, am I doing this to avoid something? Am I like, it helps me be introspective and start asking myself questions. If I notice that I'm do, if I'm working too much, you know, am I doing this because I enjoy it or am I doing this to stay busy? And so it it helps me with boundaries with myself. Hmm. That's impressive. That's interesting. Um, I guess I never looked at it that way. I mean, new perspective, huh? Yeah. Right. Um, (laughs) so there's, there's certain things that Lindsay and I kind of parallel on. And I think that's why, uh, we get along so well. And, you know, we're, we're both always trying to look for something beyond the norm. And I don't know if it's more for proof or if it's more for validation. I wonder sometimes. I definitely wonder. Um, but uh, we're going to see where things go today because Lindsay and I are going to tap back into the boundaries thing that happens between us in our relationships, in our friendships. And maybe we'll be answering some of your guys' questions and maybe we'll be answering some of each other's questions. Yeah. So <laughs> why don't we hit it? <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Um, so the big thing that I focused on in, um, it, was actually, it would actually be two episodes ago now, I guess, was men crossing boundaries. And I guess the first thing I'd want to ask you, Lindsay, is from a female perspective, what does that look like? Because the things that I've I picked up just from you know me, social media um, and articles and stories and, um, and and then personal stories has been the big one. There's so much that women have had to deal with, and I'm not. I need to get away from shaming men because I think I've been kind of harping on guys pretty hardcore, <laughs> but the, but the, it doesn't. It doesn't, you know, belittle the fact that, that this stuff is actually happening, you know, um, misogynistic things, sexist things that are kind of ingrained and conditioned in a lot of males. So we don't even realize we're doing it a lot of the time. You always have to question. You always have to watch. And then there's, you know, the serious things that are, that are an actual problem, abuse and violence and aggression um, between the sexes. So, and I know that you've kind of gone through some stuff of your own and, you know, that's, you can talk about that or not whatever, you know, whatever works for you. I don't want to put too much yeah, on Yeah, unfortunately, but. because I uh, do have that masculine energy we've talked about before, I mm-hmm. do feel like I have experienced more of the extreme side of things Yeah. when it comes to boundary crossing, for sure. So give me an idea. Let's give anybody listening the idea, which hopefully there's some men that are going to, you know, um, listen in on this. What does this look like from a female perspective when it when it comes to crossing boundaries? When it comes to men crossing boundaries with with, with women? 
So I think there's so many different levels to that. It's hard to know where to start because Mm -hmm. um, even just like societal programming of what is acceptable and what's not uh we my husband and i have even had to dive into it on that level as far as like social media um and following other people of the opposite sex and Mm. i think um so there's that aspect of it like the the stuff that doesn't seem like it would be boundary crossing um and that's just a conversation i think that people need to have within their relationships you know Mm -hmm. Um, which a big one is what, what constitutes cheating, which sounds silly because you, you would think that that would be obvious, but to different people that might mean something different. So I think it's important to have that conversation so that, um, you know, where your partner's boundary lines are, how you're, you could cross them and then make that decision not to, um, But to get back to your question, I mean, there's so many layers to it that it goes from the very innocent, I didn't realize I was doing it type of thing, even as simple as social media, all the way to, um, for example, I don't drink anymore. I'm over a year and a half sober now. Um, But when I did um, drink, I would go to the bars, you know, with friends or whatever. And there were times where I don't know how many countless times I would step in when a girl was too drunk or something and a guy was like preying on her. Mm -hmm. And um, it's even gotten to the point where um, in those situations where men have wanted to physically fight me to Mm. be able to take a girl too intoxicated home. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And I'm kind of standing in the way of that. So there are so many layers to this it's hard to even know where to start um well let's go ahead and start kind of where i was at with the last episode um there's there's actually a specific page that i follow um that i i follow things that put me on edge because i think it's important for me to see angles and i think it's important for me to know what's really going on but the biggest thing so that, that page I is on, like your trigger or what yeah but it's a purposeful one right you know to to keep me kind of on top of things uh it's it's weird but it works um and the biggest thing i tapped on in that last episode was you know the misogynistic and, and sexist things the things that men are saying to women over social media like make that me a sandwich or yeah, I mean, that one's a little ridiculous. You know, I, I think that we we genderize, you know, all these expectations and all these actions, right? Um, and I think there's always going to be this debate, but it seems like men will perform something not realizing that it's misogynistic or, or sexist. And when they're called out on it, they get super defensive. It's the initial reaction, oh, yeah. you know, to, to get angry, or deny. right? I've noticed guys' initial reaction mm-hmm. to calling them out on anything is that they deny, deny, deny. Yeah, there's that. There's that, you know? Um, and I, I think it's kind of, to me, like that thing of um, this big debate about, you know, what women wear in public, right? So oh, yeah. what I know as a guy is that we are super visual, you know, and, and we are aroused very easy. And I've done the work on myself to, to figure out, Hey, is is this controllable? You know, what, you know, can I, can I dumb this down or whatever? Um, and apart from like chemical and, and kind of physical 
controls, um, you know, kind of working on celibacy and, you know, taking away visuals and stuff. It's just kind of there in, in us, but this is the thing that I've tried to get across is the fact that we are in control of what happens. So it doesn't matter what she's wearing. It doesn't matter the vibe she's putting out. It doesn't give you any right to say or act on something and blame it on her for being, for looking a certain way. Right. Well, and I think that you're touching on something um, that is very important for people to understand is how misogyny really keeps men small because everyone's focused on how this affects women and yeah, those things could be obvious and women are starting to get more aggressive and loud about how men are crossing boundaries and that we're not okay with misogyny, but who's really talking about how this is affecting men? Like mm, yeah. being misogynistic and being sexist, it keeps you small. It limits you in your capacity to be this sentient being that you are to Mm. make decisions for yourself and to make decisions for the greater good of the people around you, you know? Mm. So in that way, I feel like sexism and misogyny keeps men small because you are, I mean, men are amazing creatures and they have their purpose on this earth. And, you know, I try to, it's so hard to raise boys in this. um, Yeah culture in this society. I mean, I was even listening to this man talk about how he grew up in another country and came to America and how there is no, there's just like so much temptation here in America as far as pornography, easy access to the opposite sex, all these things that are perverted and that aren't even accessible where he came from. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think it's so hard even raising boys right now to not be this way. Yeah, when it's, when it's in a space where society is kind of labeled what men are, because it mm-hmm. seems like men are being labeled as these simp- simpleton sexual beings, right? And that's pretty much all we've got. Yeah, just animals. Yeah, right? So I think that men are kind of like what you're saying is it keeps us small because we're adhering to that label and we're using it as an excuse to not change or be, or to be better or, you know, to accept our complexity. And it can't feel good. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. you can't feel good when you act that way, whether or not you're told that that's right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. um, There's, there's so much more to it. And I think that um, kind of like in the work that I do, I, I think it's important that men, realize that they are more so they can actually have more confidence and have um you know regain intuition and realize how important they are and how much potential they actually have Mm -hmm. and i think um something i was thinking about earlier was how much i love that you call men out and that there's like this wave of renaissance new age man who's saying, no, I can be a man and still be in touch with my feelings. And, you know, there's just kind of like this new wave of consciousness coming across the masculinity spectrum that's really inspiring to me. Mm -hmm. Um, But I was also thinking about how male accountability to other males plays a huge role in these things being acceptable. Um, I've even seen it 
you know, firsthand where guys will say, oh, well, I would never hurt a woman. I would never raise a hand to a woman, but they have a friend who does and they don't say anything to that friend knowing full well that they abuse their partner. And in that way, I'm kind of like, how, how does that make you any better? Allowing it to happen. Yeah. Or not even saying anything. And I mean, on those extreme ends, men aren't going to respect women. So it, it almost puts it on other men to kind of step in and say something. Mm-hmm. Do you think that that is, I guess from your angle, what does it look like that's going to take? Like, what do you think has to change? I don't even know. <laughs> was- I'm like, Whew. look, I've been trying crazy. to pull this back all the way down. <laughs> Or I don't know how, how, like, how do you get people to care? You can't make people care. You can't make them, you know, feel passionate about the same things you're passionate about. And so for me, it's just raising my sons differently. Mm -hmm. That's the biggest change I'm bringing into this world or the eight kids that I'm raising. I kind of, I mean, it does seem like you're onto something though, because I think that it's kind of like, what we were talking about before um you were talking about how your son you know is kind of getting a little rebellious towards you right yeah. so I, I think really the 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 changer the catalyst here is is men helping men you know uh, because women can can speak out as much as they want and be aggressive but i think that there's always going to be this heavy resistance um and i don't i don't know if it's Maybe it is a little bit of a superiority superior, uh, superiority complex thing, but I also think that when men are able to voice something, I think that the men that are doing the the wrong thing are kind of snap back or snap into place a lot easier than they do from women. But I mean, that sounds that sounds sexist, really. Ooh. Um, but I think that there, there is definitely a power in men helping other men make the change, you know? Right. And I just had this thought of how do we make that change now? Like yeah. if any man is listening, who's not participating in their son's lives, get involved in your kid's life. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like there's so many single moms out there who don't have the influence of the father. I am one of them. Um, my son maybe sees his father twice a year, you know, and that's, and I was raised by a man who didn't have a close relationship with his father until 40 something. His dad finally came back into his life. And it's, I think that's a huge part of male confidence, you know, because the family is structured in the way that women are supposed to give their children what they're supposed to give them for security. But there's also this portion of, you know, men the fathers needing to be there for their kids. And, and then there's the whole, I know there's the opposite side of that coin of women who don't allow good fathers to be a part of their kids' lives. So it's like, mm-hmm. not just knock it off and like <laughs> it involved with these kids' lives. I think mm-hmm. that's the biggest change because some people won't get it, especially people who are already set in their ways, maybe midlife, older they need like a radical life experience that might 
near close to death, you know, to really jolt them to change. But I think the biggest change is just like, be involved with your kids. No, I think, I think you're really onto something because the things that are happening that are becoming concrete in our adolescence, I think, turn into those habits and those conditionings, right? So it's far, it's like trying, it's like trying to quit smoking or something. Right. Like it gets far harder to break as time passes. Mm-hmm. And you're saying like, if we start changing the new generations now, we're changing things in the long run to actually make that turn to, you know, the more balanced, more complex, more respectable male, For sure. right? Yeah. And my husband and I, we do a lot of work on ourselves. I mean, we've been married before, so there's a lot of things that we have to change in both of our behavior simply because it doesn't work for this relationship, you know, Mm -hmm. but, but I, I'm willing to admit that I would not have ever said sorry (laughs) in my past relationships as much as I do now when I screw up because I care about him more. And I don't know if that's just because I was abused in past relationships or whatever, but I, I'm the first one to be like, I'm sorry that was wrong, or this is how I'm going to change my behavior, you know? So I think changing ourselves and helping the next generation is like the best we can do. Mm -hmm. Well, and then also, I mean, the way that you and Mike handle yourselves is going to be, you know, it's going to be receptive for your children, right? So, so they're going to see how those interactions are going. And so it's almost indirectly a way of helping them see what healthy communication looks like and health, healthy relationship looks like. Right. Yeah. Like leading by example type. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I think there's a lot of power in the, the young that we have today. I mean, I don't think I get to say I'm young anymore. So (laughs) I I think, I think it's up to, (laughs) it's all relative. Um, I think it's up to, you know, a lot of parents and um, I try to be an influence on my niece and nephew and now my, my new niece. So she's too young to really pick up on anything yet, but (laughs) I think it's very important. Well, that's true. That's true. Um, Facial expressions, these tiny babies, it's like the first, what, like seven or eight years of someone's life is what their main personality is formed on. I did not know that. Yeah, it's something like that. I mean, hmm, lessons learned for having kids later. Yeah, and I guess a part of baby's security too is looking at their mom's facial expression. Like when I look at Lucian, he's six months old, and I'm happy, and I'm like, oh, hi, and he gets really excited and happy. That makes him feel (laughs) good, you know, because that's all he understands. So, yeah, they look at your face. I guess I'm going to have to smile more. (laughs) Mom was always mad about me not smiling in pictures anyway, so. (laughs) Oh, yeah. My kids say that's not natural to smile all the time. What? Yeah, they don't really smile much. Declan and Jonah, they don't smile much, and they're like, that's not natural to just smile all the time, so I'm not going to. And I'm like, okay, that's fair. Well, that's interesting. (laughs) Yeah. Huh. That's hmm. That's like early perception going on right there, right? Like, what's going on in their head? I don't know. They're hey, smart kids. That's hmm. Lindsay, you're you're creating a legacy here. 
I hope so. <laughs> I hope all of my life's work is not for nothing. <laughs> I, I don't think it will be. Uh, I think it's pretty impressive. So I'm sure your kids are, you know, they're, they're going to turn out good. They're going to turn out good. I hope so. Um, so I kind of want to see what is this, this crossing of boundaries thing? What does this kind of make women feel? Like, what does this make made you feel? You know, I think it's super important that men, (laughs) really? It's like, uh, like, (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad I don't have to go in public as much anymore, honestly, because like, I don't know what you were talking about wearing certain things. I like to dress up. It makes Mm -hmm. me feel good. I like, um, elaborate detailed clothing that makes me look like, I don't know, a creature, (laughs) I don't know. Yeah. But it draws attention. Yeah, definitely. It's not necessarily what I am hoping for. You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. just who I am. And so I, that's just how I dress. And, but there's always, even when we're doing photo shoots or whatever, there's always somebody driving by or somebody who turns it into something it doesn't need to be. And so in a, in a casual public social setting, it's usually some derogatory remark or cat call or something that feels like the boundary crossing and like for the record i don't know when in the history of of human existence that the cat call has ever gotten someone laid you know what i mean like knock it off (laughs) (laughs) just just stop just stop stop. (laughs) uh so is it has this been i mean i know you've been in relationships but but is it is it kind of always been a a thing as the, the cat calling and the derogatory crap like is it yes has it always been a thing so, yes and more so when i was younger for sure like 20s mm-hmm. yeah but it, it always elicits that response when i hear stuff like that like uh <laughs> like i just, just feel, feel dirty yeah like it's a little bit feels like shame i guess mm-hmm. i mean so in theory if if the world's not perfect. I'm not asking any men to be perfect, but I am asking men to maybe stop catcalling. You know, well, I'm just gonna say, <laughs> shut your mouth. Uh, you know, keep your thoughts to yourself. Like, learn respect. Because from from my point of view, it's this heart racing uh, moment, right? And I think it's de- definitely directed wrong you know, to, to be derogatory, derogatory, to be sexist, to be disrespectful. Um, just because you're aroused and just because your heart, your heart rate gets up or whatever. Um, it's, it's almost like some game. And I think because men (laughs) can, can like games and challenge so much, it's like, they don't care about the outcome. They just care about the act, like fulfilling the act like fulfilling the challenge of like oh this is what i did this was hilarious you know and, and being completely unaware of what's happening in the experience for the woman and what that's actually making her feel because it's almost like women have to deal with this thing of and tell me if i'm wrong but you you get dressed up to go out and in the back of your mind, you're already thinking it's going to be too provocative or it's going to seem sleazy or whatever. And then you're walking out in public and 
you always have that uncomfortable feel because in your past, you've always been catcalled or, you know, always had things said to you or, you know, someone acted on, you know, touched you in like when they weren't allowed to or whatever. And so I think men are putting this constant uncomfortable sense in the back of women's heads when they're, they're just out there to look good because they want to, not to try to attract sleazy dudes, I guess. Well, I guess like it depends on the setting, you know, some girls do get dressed up because that's what they want. I can only speak for my personal experience and how I felt. So I'm, you know, like there's a whole gambit of things that are outside of my experience, but, um, and there's definitely a respectful way. If you like what I'm wearing, I've had people be like, like men just say, Hey, I really like your style. You look great. And I'm like, thanks. And I don't feel skeezy about that. I guess it's just like the manner you go about it. And especially Mm -hmm. when my husband's the photographer taking pictures of me or whatever, it's super disrespectful even to him. Yeah. Sometimes. So it's, it's all about how you go about it, I think. And I think Mm -hmm. intention really comes across based off of how you're going about it. (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that that really kind of because we've allowed ourselves to be labeled as simple and, you know, sex driven that it's so easy to attach to that we've allowed ourselves to have lack of control and be okay with it, I guess. Lack of control. I mean, I, 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 I've never catcalled any girls. I never have. I'm not saying I'm perfect, but I'm saying like, I, my dad wasn't around um, in my teenage years. I didn't have the male role model. I was kind of solely raised by my mom. And, you know, before then my stepdad, you know, they split up and he was kind of, he was whatever, like it, we had a hard relationship and my real dad, I only saw him in the summers, but to get my point across is like, I learned a lot from my mom as far as compassion and respect for the opposite sex. Um, so it, it, it almost, it always felt wrong of me to do, you know? And I think that that can also mean that the father figures of my generation to other guys, maybe not, you know, maybe you, you can't, you can't become something that you haven't, you know, beyond what you've been taught unless you teach yourself, I guess. You know what I mean? So as little boys, you know, what we're soaking up, we, that's what we know. Right. But I think as adults, it's our responsibility to create the change, you know, to, to look into different perspective and figure out how to be a better version of ourselves. Um, Because if we don't, we're always the scared, angry little boy acting out the same way. Just now we are financially responsible. I think that's the only difference. (laughs) And then you have people who were raised by great parents, both parents were present and mm-hmm. they turn out to be total jerks, you know, or making mm-hmm. horrible decisions or serial killers or whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. So it, it does come back to choice. Like, what are you choosing? And it's interesting how the brain handles all that because if you're constantly making poor decisions or you're constantly choosing the side of not having empathy it will physically shrink the parts of your brain. I think it's the hippocampus or something, the part of your brain responsible for empathy and like emotion. So you're physically changing 
your body's anatomy based off of your choices and how you're choosing to empathize with other people. And mm -hmm. that's what's insane to me. Well, I mean, we need a psychologist, but yeah, right? you're, there, there's something there. It, it does change. Like it, it's, it's crazy and we can take it away from boundaries because um, just to kind of make sense of this, but I'm a totally different person now than I was five years ago, you know, because of my consistent um, work on, on, and action on trying to be something different. And you, you replace bad, ha bad habits with good. You change um, the neural pathways in your brain mm -hmm. and you figure out you're a different person completely. And it's, it's mind blowing the way it works. So I'm going to ask you some questions. Oh God, here we go. <laughs> um, so what point in your life did you decide, like were boundaries always a part of your life or like, was there a pivotal moment in your life where you decided I need to have boundaries? For me, I definitely didn't know a lot of stuff. Like if I were to speak about boundaries to somebody at 20, I wouldn't know what they were talking about, you know, and, and I especially wouldn't know where I would have my boundaries emotionally, physically. Um, Why is that? That I didn't know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to make a super awesome excuse here. I don't think our education teaches us anything worth a damn as far as being internally sound. You know, they don't teach us emotional intelligence. They don't teach us about, you know, respect for ourselves and others and, and what those, you know, where those boundaries come up and, you know, um, how, you know, how to be, uh, how to be balanced and how to pay attention to what's important in our life and, and, and shooting for passion and, you know, being confident, having good self-esteem. They don't teach any of this stuff, you know? Right. Um, and boundaries for me, it, it didn't really start making sense because I guess in my twenties, if somebody crossed a boundary, I would be hurt, but I didn't know that I was supposed to hold, so, you know, some sort of barrier up. You know, I didn't know that I was supposed to say something to keep them from doing that. So people acted on me and took advantage of me because, you know, I, I didn't know what it meant to have a boundary. And I'm, I, I know I did that to other people too. You know, um, we follow our emotions so easily that we act on impulse. So, and that's the big thing about emotional intelligence is that we have to be able to know what they are, know why they're happening and make decision on how we're going to act out and, you know, and coming from our perception or perspective, what we're going to do to respond to that, you know, to hold up a boundary or to show respect to somebody or to show love to somebody. So going back, just dumbing it down for me, I, and I'm curious, like what you think, because we all have, we all hear a word and then we have a specific correlation to that word, mm -hmm. but we don't really know what that means to someone else. Yeah. So for anyone who's listening that maybe doesn't even know what a boundary is. What are boundaries, Zach? <laughs> All right, here we go. Um, is this going on your podcast or mine? Because I don't know, <laughs> I don't know who they're interviewing. Send me is. the recording. Yeah. I'll put it on mine too. <laughs> no, but I'm curious. Like I don't, I don't get to talk to people about this stuff. Um, so, so boundaries from my perspective is 
is ever present in how we're emotionally sound for ourselves, how, how we're being reacted to and how, or I guess how we're reacting to things, right? So if somebody says something that causes me shame, that's a boundary crossing. And they may what not know shame? that. What's shame for me? Mm-hmm. What's a good example? Shame for me would be one of the biggest things that I've put out there is that I don't like getting shit for things that are out of my control. So take going back to like the very first podcast you and I did, um, I'm short. I'm 5'3". There's literally nothing that I can do about that. Right. And I, I had at six feet tall. <laughs> You, you guys should see the picture that we used for, for that first. <laughs> it was amazing. <laughs> um, but it's something that's out of my control, right? So crossing a boundary would be somebody giving me shit about that. I, I dealt with it for a very, very long time, you know, trying to figure out what that meant to me, trying to figure out how to take power over it. Um, and I did. After a while, I've, I very much did. But if somebody decides to comment or make a joke on my size – if that's causing me pain, it's my, it's my job to hold up that wall. It's my job to say the words that say, Hey, this is, you know, this bothers me. And you know, our, our friendship is going to work out better if it's not something that we bring up because I have trauma or I've got, um, or I've got shame or I've got, you know, whatever, because if we never hold up that boundary, people are always going to overstep. And this happens a lot with men. A lot with men because it we're always a lot with relationships. Ooh, it happens a lot with happen. no, it does, especially when exes are involved. And that's something yeah. that we've had to deal with. Um, my husband was married in a 16 year marriage before mm-hmm. me. And so there was a lot that was established as far as um, his side of the family. We even had instances where his ex-wife just walked into our house after we were married. And so there was, there's just a lot in relationships. You got to really draw lines in the sand with. Um, And it's not surprising to me that the, like, so each marriage that you have is supposed to have like a smaller statistic of actually being successful. So you mean as the marriage is like the second marriage, third, more third, yep, marriage, fourth, like third, fourth, that type of thing, less successful. Yep. Hmm. And because divorce is familiar, it's something that they know, you know, you're just like, well, I'm not like this, but it's divorce is just more of a, an option, mm-hmm. I guess is what I'm trying to say. But then there's all of the buildup from past relationships that's piling on, you know, where your first marriage or your first relationship, you don't have any reference point. You're starting fresh. You Mm -hmm. maybe don't have kids with anyone else. And then when you're in the second or third marriage, you have kids with other people. You've got all this crap built up from the bad things that your previous partner did to you. And frankly, those things don't dissolve. Mm-hmm. Once the divorce is final, that just gets passed on to the new partner to then try to dig in and, and figure out um, like how, how do we work through this? Because you're mm-hmm. helping that other person get through everything that they, that is left over and piled up from the past relationship, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So boundaries has been something that 
we have had to like tooth and nail fight for just to even be considered seriously as a marriage in my in our family structure it's insane how much boundaries we've had to put up and and mm-hmm. it is essential to be on the same page with boundaries mm-hmm. to even have a successful relationship these days no um yeah and you've got you've got a lot more experience in that than i do um so sorry is- i i feel like i just like tangent off on you while you're <laughs> well i, I feel like there's supposed to be like a 70 30 percent thing here as as far as who talks to who you know and um I'm, there are I'm rules pushing... for these there is now <laughs> no um no th- there's there's a lot of things that i think it's important to have boundaries on you know for sure to me it's it's something meaning that you're passing somebody's um, respect, like the the level of, of respect. So if That's you're disrespecting really somebody, you know, it, it may not be something that you know. So it, it takes action on both sides. It takes a lot of communication. But anything that <clears throat> is making somebody, in my opinion, feel bad about being human or, you know, the job that they do or the sex that they are or the way that they present themselves that to me is a boundary crossing, you know? Um, I, I know in your case, it's probably more of like, hey, this is my family. This is, you know, what I need for my family. Don't fuck with this. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I've had to be mean mommy on quite a few occasions. <laughs> but would you, like this, in my experience, it took me being shamed quite a bit. And so shame to me mm-hmm. is like the Brene Brown definition of shame being mm-hmm people making you feel bad about or lying to you about who you are basically and making you feel shame about things that you don't have control over, like you said. And I think Mm -hmm. you have a unique perspective in that way um, with physical attribute type of thing to really be able to empathize with women because we get shamed just for being female. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess there's there's somewhat of an angle there. I guess the the biggest challenge here is is how do we get men to change that? How how do we incorporate the empathy um, that that's needed in order to have respected boundaries? They have to be yeah. in the same shoes. I feel like as mm-hmm. the people that they're disrespecting. I think they have to see. They have to take it personally. They have to either know someone who they care about who's affected by this or mm-hmm. it has to happen to them. And I feel like that's a very basic human thing. Like mm-hmm. we have to experience that to really be like, hey, that doesn't feel good. You know, mm-hmm. I see that on a basic level with my kids. Like they'll whap each other or whatever. And the one who's whapping the other one will think it's funny until they get whapped. And then they're like, Oh, well, that's not very nice. You mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. And I think we're like that just as a species. Yeah. That's, that's interesting because it, it's almost seems like it's, it's difficult to empathize 
without that experience, you know? Um, I mean, one of the things that infuriates me more than anything, um, and this is why I think women are stronger than men in a lot of ways, is the amount of physical and emotional abuse and like a, like we were saying before, the misogynistic and sexistic, sexist, um, you know, things happening that never get told, you know, that, and, and women present it like it's just so nonchalant, like this is what I went through, you know, they, they've processed it, they've gone through it and it may come up in future relationships or whatever, but it's so dealt with. I guess I've heard so many stories and it's mind blowing. I'm like, how, have, how, how do we not know about this stuff? How many women is this actually happening to? A lot. And you know, it is hard. It is hard how nonchalantly I will talk about some of my past experiences because people, people's eyes will get big and be like, Oh my gosh, that is, it sounds like a dark horse episode of Dateline or something. Mm -hmm. Some of the experiences I've been through, like I was able to get out of a very abusive relationship and then the wife after me is now dead and it was ruled as a suicide, but I know, and his first ex-wife knows that he probably did that to her, you know, mm-hmm. he probably killed her and got away with it like a lot of people do. Um, but yeah, I, I mean... I told you about a series, I think it's on Netflix, maybe Hulu, and it's called The Ascent of Woman, and it addresses how misogyny has been a part of our um, human experience since the beginning of time. Like, mm-hmm. they, they address misogyny back to the very core of existence, and they're talking about how these structured societies have more misogyny than tribal cultures, which is also interesting. So they were kind of looking at ancient Rome, for instance, um, very misogynistic, even stories um, that were passed down in their mythology. It paints women as these scary, you know, like tells that you don't ever want to be strong and you don't want to be all these other things or you're a monster but then they looked at these ancient tribal cultures and women were respected and they had rights um they were the spiritual leaders of the Mm -hmm. tribe so it's interesting um definitely seeing when men run a society and it's very structured versus living in nature and how women are looked at there so mm-hmm. I think tribal cultures really have it together with what women are mm-hmm. and how they should be looked at. So really what we're saying here, guys, is like in just a few seconds is that all of these numbed out men have everything to do with just <laughs> bad conditioning you know, that's been carried on throughout history. Um, and I think that definitely comes from the, the basic primal part of the fact that men were just physically built stronger and like for that protection. And I think that that power has also been used for control, right? Um, or or at least, that's at least how I see it, you know, and, it, and it's carried on. And I think that the feminine um, and 
the love and the nature and the spirituality has been allowed to fade because of uh, modernization, you know, everything that we've, like you were saying, like structure took over, you know? Well, and um, sexism is even ingrained in anthropology. Mm-hmm. This is a crazy thing. So I'm very uh, Viking, Scottish ancestry. And they're digging up these graves, like what, maybe like 1930s or something. I don't know the exact time frame. <laughs> but they're finding these warrior graves and they were automatically assuming that these were men. Well, back then they didn't have the same tests that we have now to be able to tell, oh, this is a female or whatever. But now they're finding out that these graves that they just automatically marked as men that were obviously mm. these great warriors are women. And so yeah. in, that, in that way, I feel like we digress. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Well, and there's, I think a lot of stuff just gets ignored, you know? And I, I think that ties back to, to what I try to push so much is, dude, it's, it's just, it all comes back to adolescence. If, if men are only taught so many emotions, you know, only allowed so uh, so many emotions. How are they supposed to be empathetic? And I'm not saying like that's an excuse. I'm saying we're teaching wrong, right? Like, well, okay. So here's another thing that I think is being taught wrong, mm-hmm. and you've brought up numbing out a few times. Yes. And the thing that keeps coming up in my mind is pornography. And I've mm-hmm. I've had a lot of honest conversations with men lately, talking about how they use pornography to numb out. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is a very, I mean, there's a lot of like aggressive pornography out there showing men be aggressive towards women, portraying that maybe that's what women want and all these other things or that we're just objects or whatever. And I think that that easy access to that is another way that these adolescents are getting taught and trained to be misogynistic. Mm-hmm. No, I think there's a, there's a tie there because what I found the most is that men are um, deflecting from what's uncomfortable, right? So even using something like pornography, they're they're deflecting from their emotions, they're deflecting from um, interactions with themselves, um, uh, reflecting back on situations that they could, you know, be better at, you know, all this stuff. So men almost have it, it's very easy for them to move to addictive things to get away from what they can't internally emotionally handle psychologically handle which is really sad because then it alienates them from their partner Mm -hmm. and that that also is a boundary crossing that the partner might not even be realizing is happening like Mm -hmm. did you have that conversation and here's another thing in my past marriage um i was forced to watch pornography because i was told that i was not attractive enough alone to have fulfilled his sexual desire and so i felt like i was forced if i wanted to be close to my husband in that way to invite and be okay with other women being a part of my marriage because whether or not there's a screen separating that or whatever that's still another person like to me being a married person i don't understand the point of fidelity and getting married and vows and stuff for a traditional 
um, religious, because we're all the yes, um, monogamous marriage if there's other people involved. Like, what is even the point? That just completely derails it all. So for me, one of my boundaries is definitely pornography or even following girls on Instagram or constantly you know, bathing suit photos or having conversations with the opposite sex. Like I'm very vocal with Mike, like even talking to you, I'm like, Oh, Hey, I'm talking to Zach right now, you know, out of respect, because that is, that's a boundary. The opposite sex should always be a boundary when you're in a committed relationship and porn crosses that huge boundary. And then you get into this whole other realm of consent with this stuff coming out about uh, sex trafficking and there's women coming out speaking out against like Pornhub and stuff saying um, there was one lady who's heading up the movement against Pornhub saying that her father got her involved in that as an adolescent and that she was still going to school every day, you know, all these things, but that Pornhub now has all these videos of her um, basically being raped. And so then there's that whole thing of consent, like, okay, so you're using it to numb out. And, and even if you don't have a partner, maybe you're even crossing your own boundary without even realizing it because these women didn't even consent to it. So it's, it goes back to that thing I was talking about, like, oh, I would never raise my hand to a woman, but I know someone who does, and I'm not saying anything to them about it. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe you wouldn't rape someone, but you, you might unknowingly be watching that you know what I mean and that crosses your boundaries so Mm -hmm. I think there's just like so many layers and I'm seeing more and more the issue of pornography in relationships in how these adolescent boys are raised to be numb so that they are more accepting of being misogynistic and everything else and how women are just being trained to think that we're supposed to be okay with other women being a part of our relationship Mm -hmm. in the most intimate way that you can connect with your partner, Mm -hmm. which is sex, you know? Mm -hmm. So, and I think where, I think, um, that comes back to that, um, simple idea of what man is, right? So he's, he's going to attach, especially with, like with your situation, that, that means the only thing that's important right there is the physicality. So you're right. missing the, the intimacy with your partner. You're missing like that soul connection with your partner for the sake of like, oh, the only thing present is the physicality that gets you off. And you know? degrading, you know, that was the relationship that I have complex PTSD from diagnosed mm-hmm. and had to go through therapy over. So it's like, I don't know. There's a lot of sick people out there. <laughs> we all have our problems. Right. Um, but no, I think, um, I think that it's a mess and it's allowing men to be disconnected and create so much, uh, I, I guess, aggression. And um, the thing that gets in the way, and I know these words can be a little fuzzy sometimes, but I'd like to describe it as as overconfident or arrogant or, or arrogant. Peacocking. Arrogant. That's Peacocking. what I call it. <laughs> That's a good one too. Um, but, you know, it, 
because it only it's only leading to one type of being right we're too multi-dimensional or we're supposed to be multi-dimensional you know and, and men are this single layer that can be seen through no no wonder we are you know so upset about and so aggressive about things like we don't we're not see being seen as human in a lot of ways and and really it's our own fault because well that's a that's something i empathize with men on though too Mm -hmm. is that uh there's all these things that tell men they have to be perfect and they have to be stoic and Mm -hmm. you can't fall off of your horse as a white knight or you don't matter you know so i feel like i empathize with the feeling of feeling like you always have to be strong you always have to have the answer and and you know have to look like you're confident in everything else. But like you're saying, it really does disconnect you from your higher self. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then, and then it seems like a lonely place to be in that frame of mind of empathizing with that. Um, Going a little farther, it seems like that would be lonely to feel like you are, you're basically pushing people away when mm-hmm. you're acting like that and not allowing people to be close to you and then you have to feel alone and then to me i can see where you would fall into things like addiction mm-hmm. because you're trying to attach something that will help you feel yeah or give you permission to feel mm-hmm. but or give oh, yourself yeah. permission so what like say you're drinking i used to do this this is why i stopped picking up alcohol is like oh, well, if I drink, I could just blame it on that, you know, when really I have to recognize, no, these are my feelings. It's okay to feel them. And I'm safe to have this conversation or I'm safe to cry. Crying's a big thing that I struggle with. Um, I will physically stop myself from crying because in some space of survival, I could not show weakness or that would mean physical harm Mm -hmm. and so that's something that i also empathize with men not being able to feel like you can cry or have those emotions Mm -hmm. without feeling quote-unquote weak you know what i mean Mm -hmm. yeah it's i think that there i know Lindsay and i have talked a lot about the big problems right there's there's a lot there but let's try to move into more of a enlightened positive state shall we (laughs) yes um i think Lindsay and i definitely do have compassion for men i think that there's a lot of power in men i think that even though we bring up these problems we're noticing that there is a shitload of potential because and you have to recognize where it's not working to be able Mm -hmm. to dig in and fix it, you know? And, and I just wanted to say that as a feminist, Mm -hmm. my work and the most that I've spoken out has been for men. Oh, really? Yes. See, and maybe it seems, it almost seems like at times and with the things that happen, there's a pendulum, pendulum swing, right? And we get too far sometimes, you know? Um, I know that there's, there's some feminists that are so extreme that it, it honestly feels more of like hate. 
Yes, no. there's extremists of every side. And I think on, yeah. especially on social media, we're seeing every form of extremists coming out of the woodwork right now. But I totally agree. There's like definitely feminists who shame men for just being men. Mm -hmm. Well, we're all the same, right? <laughs> I mean, all men are the same, obviously. Um, <laughs> I'm like, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, I mean, th that's kind of the idea that's get giving is being given off, you know, and it's just so untrue. It is untrue. And I think um, the, the biggest problem with social media is the fact that we only pick up on things that are not right or that look wrong or that have been done wrong or said wrong, you know? Mm -hmm. But ultimately like there's, I wouldn't believe this is true if I hadn't done some of the work, but men are, very limitless and i think the reason all of this is is so important is because we're out of balance um from my opinion with women like women have finally we've gotten closer to equality even though it's still a problem women have finally kind of gotten a voice and we're noticing you know the the, the feminine and the female strength and i think that there's so much so much that we still need to work on on the male side that we're not in balance. And I think that all this stuff has to happen so that men can be in balance with women again, because I believe that everything in life has a balance. We have the black and white, we have, you know, the structure and the nature, we have this yin and yang, yin and yang you know, exactly. And um, I think it's important to internally be on that same page for each, each and every one of us. There may be more of a feminine in females. There may be more of a masculine in, in men, but it's not a 100% thing on each side. There is no we're black, they're white. It has a lot to do with our internals too and our own emotions and how we see the world and our perspective and our passion. And if we're too afraid to show that as men, we're not in balance and we're no. doing a disservice to ourselves and to the women that actually are trying to support us and trying to love us. Yeah. And our children. And our children. But there, there is no limitations. Um, I believe that we had a pre-mortal life before mm -hmm. we came here and that we all chose to come here to this earth. And so for me, as I am going through my own personal spiritual journey, I'm finding that it's more of a recognition of mm -hmm. who I was before I came here that gives me that peace that helps me to be able to support the people around me, you know, and I really feel like loving people helps to liberate them from their own shame. Mm -hmm. And that's what I'm trying to do in my own life. Well, and I think, um, I think just the word of love, like that term, if we're willing to explore that, um, a lot of men need to explore that, then a lot of stuff can change, right? I don't know. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I think being willing to accept it. Like, mm -hmm. I think men are such fixers and that's a wonderful thing about them. But when it comes to self, they have a hard time just accepting help mm -hmm. or accepting love. And like, I just think it's so important to like recognize where you might need help or 
that somebody loves you and just like let it in. <laughs> no, I totally out. agree. Because we get so kind of like uncomfortable, conditionally uncomfortable because we it, it's like we feel like um, there's a camera on us at all times that's going to you know, throw us to the wolves whenever they, whenever we realize that we're weak, you know, right? Like if somebody's going to see that I'm weak. I, I, so even though we want it and we have this intuition, we still reject it like, as if we're always being watched. That's interesting. Never heard it that way before. <laughs> I can be completely wrong. I'm, <laughs> uh, I don't think my masculinity percentage is quite as high as some other guys. So right, and I'm the opposite. Yeah, we're kind of anomalies there. Like you're, <laughs> I know, totally. <laughs> yeah, and Mike is totally in touch with a lot more. He's taught me more about being vulnerable and soft and open, mm-hmm. and so that's been a nice compliment to my energy. So um, the. How has the boundaries thing gone between you two? Um, I don't think, I think we talked about this, him and I on a podcast that I've done, but he didn't really know what boundaries were when Mm. we got together. That's where he was at is like, he didn't know what boundaries were. He didn't know he needed to have them and he didn't. And I think that goes to like, that says something about knowing oneself because to be able to know where you need your boundary set, you have to know what you're okay with, what you're not okay with, and kind of like have an overall knowledge of self. Mm-hmm. And so that awareness, I don't think was really there. So we've come a long, long ways. And um, it's been really nice to see him have such boundaries, even with me. Um, I like hearing I can't, I don't have the capacity for this right now, or I'm doing this for me right now. And then we can do this later. We can, you know, revisit this. I like hearing that. I like seeing him do things just for him. I love knowing that he is getting more confidence because he's asserting boundaries in his life. Mm -hmm. And so we've just come a really long way with it. And I'm very proud of him and us. Well, I am too from a distance if it helps any. <laughs> that does help. Support um, always helps. So I I I, I want to ask you a couple things before we before we part ways. Um sure. first of all, um if there's anything that you recommend as far as books or influencers or experiences that you've had in changing your habits um and your actions and stuff like that, that you would recommend to ladies and or gents out there in the crowd i love everything brene brown i love the work she does about vulnerability and leadership um talking about all those things for me dr pamatier is how you say her name but she wrote a book that really helped me and my husband my husband and i help me. I don't know the grammar. I suck at grammar. <laughs> um, but she, it was about maintaining boundaries with exes and, um, how to keep the ex out. So Dr. Pomadier, I can't remember the name of the book off the top of my head. I think it's something like 
how to keep crazy out or something like that. But definitely Brene Brown for sure. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of men that should listen to Brene Brown. I know it sounds super uncomfortable and super icky, but she is probably one of the biggest catalysts that we have today. Brene Brown right. is fantastic. Yeah. She does the research too. She's like a sound person to get data from because mm-hmm. that's what she does. And yeah. I like that. I like seeing this, the data backing up what she's saying. Not to mention she's a fantastic storyteller. <laughs> yeah, she is. She definitely is. Um, so I have two questions left for you then. Okay. Um, first of all, since we've gone through all of this, in a summarized form, what do you think is the best thing for creating healthy boundaries? Write it down. I think get to know yourself. Mm-hmm. Be comfortable being alone. Ask yourself the hard questions. I think that's the only way to really know where your boundaries are. So self-awareness pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. And, and try new things. Try a skill, try do something. It doesn't always have to be hard, you know, difficult work. Just do, do things out of your comfort zone. And that's how you really find what you're comfortable with or what you want to keep, what you want to get rid of, you know? Mm-hmm. Okay. And then the very last question, what does it mean to you to be rebel-minded? To be rebel-minded for me is to stay firm in what I know is right and to just be authentic. And I can't, like, I can't care outside of that. I can't care about what other people think and I just have to do me. And unfortunately, being authentic is being rebel-minded for me in this day and age. That's very fortunate. <laughs> um, what better way to create boundary, right? Yeah. You have to protect your authenticity. Yep. Um, so where is the best place for people to find you? If they need to know your skills or if they need to help buying a house. Yeah, if you need help buying a house, my website is my name. So it's Lindsay Bryant and it's dot with W-R-E dot com. Stands for Windermere Real Estate. Um, but I'm on Instagram. You, I'm sure you'll link me. I don't want to try to spell out all my different. <laughs> That's okay. Um, I will put uh, Lindsay's contact info um, in the transcribed version of, uh, of this episode. So it's been, we had a great talk. We had a really yeah. good talk. I don't know if we solved the world's problems, but we had a good talk for sure. No, but discussion I think always leads to production. Yeah. And I always, after talking with you, my mind's like going, I think of so many more <laughs> things. So I appreciate you having me on your podcast. Yeah, it was good. Thanks. Um, Guys, you know why I'm here. Um, I I try to create the rebel mind as much as possible. And it's it's these talks that we have that are really making a difference. And I'm glad that all of you are here. I love you all for being present. And I love you all for doing your best. And we should all be shooting for authenticity. And we should all be experiencing life. So to all of you out there, Stay strong and stay rebel-minded. This is the Creed Soldier.
Alright guys, if you're here, then you have some sort of connection or curiosity of what goes on. So from the bottom of my little hamster heart, thank you. Even through a mic, that's what we call connection. And my life always gets better and more clear with all the souls that I get to connect with. If you like what you're hearing, or you want to share your story with me and the podcast, which I would absolutely love, write in. Send me an email or send me a text. You can contact me through IG as Creed Soldier or email me at Zachary at ChaosCreed.com. That's Z-A-C-K-A-R-Y at K-H-A-O-S-K-R-E-E-D.com. And of course, if you're up to the challenge and curious about really speeding up your self-development and your potential and getting committed to bettering yourself, send me a notification with Getting Rebel-Minded in the title, even if All you need is that confidential space to talk. I'm here to give that to you. Share, like, and follow the podcast if it means something to you. Then you'll know when every new episode and interview has been published. I've always got more good things coming. 